So do you ever feel like high school graduation is like a mirage of sorts? Like you get to this point of arrival as a high school graduate and you're like, yeah, we did it. We've arrived. But wait, there is still so much more. <laughs> like you feel like you've arrived, but then it's, oh, wait, I've got four more years of schooling to go to. And so you've not quite arrived. And Let's be honest, even as you get to your college graduation, Stephen, there's still so much more, right? If you're like me, there's a lot of professions where there's continuing ed that you have to do every year, so you got to keep on going. Sometimes I feel like graduations are this arrival point, but they're not quite the ultimate arrival point. Like there's still so much, it's kind of like the, uh, the Billy Mays uh, info, you guys remember Billy Mays? He passed away a handful of years. Anybody? Or am I just... Thanks, Todd. Appreciate it. Yeah. Only Todd remembers. But Billy Mays. But wait, there's more. Like, when you arrive to graduation, uh, it's an arrival point for sure. But there is still so much more waiting for you. There's still so much more waiting for those of us who have completed our school. David has also just completed his, uh, his time at seminary. And he would love to think that, oh, you're just done now, right? Like, no, we continue, we keep going, there's more. That's what it's like, I think, to live the Spirit-filled life that Christ calls us to. This idea that, but wait, there's still so much more. Today is not only Graduation Sunday, but today is also Pentecost Sunday. And so I don't know about you, but I love the church calendar. And I, I try to fill my teenagers' minds with church calendar things at times. And I'm like, hey, do you guys know what today is on the church calendar? And they're like, no, why would we know that? And I'm like, because church calendar is awesome. I love the church calendar because it tells the story of who we are and where we're headed. And so we, we think of, you know, um, Christmas, and it's the time where God became Emmanuel, God with us in the form of, of a baby. He became flesh and entered into our world. And then uh, just uh, a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, we celebrated Easter. And the time leading up to Easter was Lent, where we prepare our hearts for Easter. And then we have the crucifixion, and then Easter when death was overcome and our Savior was resurrected. And that's a huge celebration. And then in the church calendar, we have Ascension Day, where Christ was ascended into heaven. And then today, we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. And if, as you know, Pentecost Sunday being the day where, where Jesus, where, where God sent the Holy Spirit as a gift to us. Jesus said as he was going, even greater things are going to come, and that is through the Holy Spirit. So today on Pentecost, <clears throat> we celebrate the arrival of the, of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we also celebrate essentially the birthday of the church. You remember in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came down, it was kind of the birth of this big thing that we call the church. So today is a big deal, not just for our grads, but in our church calendar, Pentecost is a big deal. Now, typically when we talk about Pentecost, we use Acts chapter 2 to kind of tell the story of how that happened. I'm going to move away from Acts chapter 2 and not really recap the story of how it happened, but I'm going to look instead at something that now that that's happened, so what? What does this spirit-filled life look like for us? 
And to do that, I'm going to take a look in Romans chapter 8. So if you want to flip there, we'll read in just a little bit. But we're going to be looking in Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul kind of paints this picture of the Spirit-filled life. What does it mean to live a life in the Spirit? Paul kind of suggests that there is more to this Spirit-filled life than simply justification or salvation. I might use those two terms kind of interchangeably. Justification, salvation. Paul is suggesting that there is more to this Spirit-filled life than the moment when you come into relationship with Jesus. Salvation, justification, that's important, but Paul's suggesting there's even more. Kind of like for our grads, you've arrived, but there's still so much more for you. Paul's suggesting there is more to this spirit-filled life than justification or salvation. And he paints a picture of what that is. And so we celebrate. We, we celebrate our grads. We join with you in celebrating what you've accomplished in your arrival But there's so much more, and we wait in anticipation of what God will do for that. In salvation, we celebrate salvation. Salvation is a very big deal. When someone comes into a relationship with Jesus, that's a big deal, and we celebrate that. In fact, we celebrate that here through the lighting of a candle, which just happens to be lit this morning, meaning that someone has entered in this week, someone has entered into a relationship with Jesus, and we celebrate that. That's a big deal. But for that person that entered into salvation this week, there's still so much more in this spirit-filled life that Paul paints a picture of. In Romans 8, he talks about what this more looks like. And I like to think of this as a house. When I'm thinking about salvation and then the spirit-filled life, I like to think of this as a house. Now picture yourself, um, you, you just bought a brand new house. Like you and your wife just bought this brand new dream home. And you get the keys after closing and you drive there and you get there and you walk up to the porch. Now imagine that porch is the salvation moment in your life. The porch represents Salvation, And you and your wife walk up onto the porch. Now the rest of the house, inside the house, represents the spirit-filled life. What comes next after salvation? Now imagine how silly it would be for you and your spouse to walk up onto the porch of salvation, the porch of the house, and just stand there and admire the view from the porch. You've worked hard all your life to get this dream house and you walk up onto the the porch and you have the keys to go in, but you just stand there on the porch admiring the view. See, the spirit-filled life that Paul is talking about here in Romans 8 is the walking into the rest of the house. Not just staying on the porch, but walking into the rest of the house. And then what happens when you get into the house? How many of you, when you move into a house, you just go and you sit there on the couch for the rest of your life? No, it's silly, right? You move about, you make memories in the house. You live your life in the house. And it's, it's this life that is lived. It's this journey. So is our walk with Christ. We don't stand at salvation and just say, I've arrived and that's it. I'm on my way to heaven and that's it. We go in and we go experience life in the house. The spirit-filled life. It's a journey. But wait, there's more. So what is it that this spirit-filled life looks like? 
Now, Paul begins Romans uh, chapter 8 by, by kind of painting this uh, picture and talking about what it looks like to live in the life of the Spirit. And he talks about how we are no longer, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the gift of Pentecost, because of this, we are no longer slaves to the law and to sin. And that's good news for us. He talks about since we are no longer in the realm of the flesh, but rather we are living in the realm of the Spirit, because of that, we have righteousness. And he also talks about, and this is a hard pill to swallow because it sounds really difficult, but in the life of the Spirit, Paul talks about that we then get to rid ourselves of the misdeeds of the body, the misdeeds of the flesh. We're no longer enslaved by the human fleshly world. We're living a life of the Spirit. Now, I want to point out verse 15 in chapter 8 really quick. And as I read this, I want you to tuck it away in your mind because it'll come into play in just a few minutes. This isn't the main scripture, but I want you to hear this. Uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 15 says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So at this, in the spirit-filled life, through the spirit, we have been adopted into sonship, and we get to call God Abba Father. Now tuck that away in your mind because we're going to come back to it in just a few minutes. But right now, I want to uh, jump ahead. We're gonna our our main scripture is going to be verse twenty-two through twenty-seven. So if you want to just skip ahead a few verses, and we're going to read that again. This is Paul talking about what does life in the spirit look like. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So what you might notice is that the beginning of chapter 8, when Paul's talking about life in the Spirit, what it means to live a a Spirit-filled life, Paul seems to be talking about a very present state of being. That right now, living a Spirit-filled life means that you no longer have to be a slave to the law or a slave to sin. And we've been adopted as sons in verse 15, this very present reality of life in the Spirit. But the second part of chapter 8 seems to be talking about this future idea of a life in the Spirit, of things yet to come. He talks about uh, the, the hope that we have and that we are eagerly awaiting all things being made new. And then he says that we eagerly await our adoption into sonship. 
Now remember the verse that I had talked about and I told you to tuck away in your mind. Verse 15 says, we have been adopted into sonship so that we can call him Abba, Father. And later he says, we hope for and we eagerly await our adoption into sonship. Do you see the contradictions here? Before he seems to be talking about this present reality and later he seems to be talking about this future reality reality that we hope for and we long to. I think Paul is pointing us to this phrase in the theological world that we have for the already but not yet kingdom of God. The already but not yet kingdom. Like, essentially, if we're going to tie it to what we're doing today, Paul seems to be pointing us to this arrival point, but wait, there's more. Like we're arriving at this point, but wait, there's more. This already but not yet kingdom. So what does it mean for us to live in this already but not yet kingdom? Well, as we read, Paul seems to suggest that one of the ways that we know that we're living in the already but not yet kingdom is the way in which we respond to a broken world. The way we respond to a world that is still held bondage by the fall. How do we respond to that world? Paul says that in in verse uh, 22, he talks about creation seeing this bondage. Creation recognizes this brokenness. And what does it do? What's What's it say that creation does? It groans. You know that feeling when you see something that is just so awful and messed up and broken that all you can help but do is groan. Oh, man. Creation sees the brokenness of of the world and the bondage of sin and creation groans. Paul says that to live the life in the spirit, to live a spirit-filled life is to join with creation in that groaning. To join with the creation in the groaning for a broken and bonded, captive world. To live a spirit-filled life is to live in the hope that one day Jesus will bring redemption to all of creation. That one day there will be no more pain. That one day there will be no more suffering, no more tears, no more death. And to live in the spirit-filled life is to hope for and eagerly await and join with all of creation in groaning for that day that God makes all things new. And that's the not yet part of the, of the kingdom. But what about the already part? What do we do in the meantime? How do we bring about this already aspect of the kingdom? Do we simply passively hope for the not yet and long for the day when God makes all things new? I don't think that's what we do. 
In fact, I think that that idea of passively sitting by and longing and only longing and hoping for that day is to go against Jesus himself when he taught the disciples how to pray. Because he prayed that the kingdom of God would come to earth here and now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look at the imagery that that Paul uses when he's painting this picture of what it means to live this spirit-filled life and to groan with creation. He uses the imagery of the pains of childbirth. Now, if anyone knows about pregnancy, then you know that it is anything but a passive sit idly by and wait kind of anticipation. A pregnant mother doesn't just sit idly by awaiting the arrival of this new baby. For the first few months, she's simply trying to survive. Like, she's hoping that the foods that she once loved so much don't suddenly repulse her to the point where she has to spend an hour in an intimate situation with the toilet. She just needs to survive this, right? And then all of a sudden things start to shift a little bit. And then, uh, and then the, her focus, the pregnant mother's focus, turns to, not from surviving this beginning stages of pregnancy, but all of a sudden the mom's responsibility becomes to protect this baby inside of her and to provide the necessary nutrition uh, to, to maintain this baby's health. And then after that, there's suddenly, she suddenly comes into this, these last couple of weeks of the pregnancy that we lovingly call as nesting, where she spends all of her energy preparing the house for this new arrival of the baby. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. This is anything but a passive sit idly by kind of anticipation. This is a very active anticipation. This is the picture that Paul paints when he talks about longing for the day when Jesus makes it all and waiting and doing something right now. It's an active anticipation. This is the kind of anticipation that's required of a spirit-filled life. A life in the already but not yet kingdom. We long for the day when Christ makes all things new. And while we wait, we bring about glimpses of redemption here and now. So when we see in our world that there are still systemic racial injustices in our world, we don't just sit passively by and say, man, I can't wait for the day when Jesus fixes that. We do something. We do something now. And when our teenagers continue to be murdered at alarming rates in our schools, we don't just sit idly by and chalk it up to a sin and a heart issue and say that Jesus will someday fix this. We do something now. We act. We understand that Jesus wants to use us right here, right now, to work toward our future hope. We do 
something, even when we don't know what that something is. Paul talks about how the Spirit intercedes on behalf of us. We join in these times of groaning and in those times when we don't know what else to say and all we can do is groan, the Spirit speaks and intercedes on our behalf. I also think that the work of the Spirit is in the midst of the times we know we have to act, but we don't know exactly what to do. The Spirit's role is to guide us into action. If we would just submit to that guidance. So grads, you've arrived. You've arrived at this point in your life, but there is so much more for you. Church, most of you have arrived at this point of salvation. And we celebrate that. But there is still so much more for you. And in our tradition, there are some of you who would say that you've even arrived at this point that we in this Wesleyan tradition call sanctification. And you've arrived at this point. Can I be bold enough to say that even on arrival of that point, there's still so much more for you? So grads and church, it is my prayer that we would be a people who embraces the tension of the already but not yet kingdom. That we would look forward to and long for the day when Christ redeems it all. But that we would also be a people who take seriously the prayer of Jesus to bring the kingdom of heaven here to earth now, that our actions would reflect those of a people who aren't content with just sitting by and waiting for heaven to fix it all, but that we would do radical things to bring heaven here now. When I look at my grads and the rest of my youth group, there's no doubt in my mind that they have the capability of bringing glimpses of heaven here and now. When I look at the rest of the church, I have the same feeling that we have the capability of bringing about glimpses of redemption in heaven here and now. If we would simply submit to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me? And I want to pronounce a benediction over you. Now go in the Spirit, the one who makes adoption into sonship a reality now, but longing for the day when full adoption into sonship is possible. Go, groaning with all of creation, but not Letting your groaning be enough. Making his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.